A young mother had a son, a kind-hearted boy who always tried to do what's right. As he grew older, he worried about others more than himself. Whenever he saw anyone suffering, he tried to heal and comfort them, but more people became sick. Disease ravished the land. People were quarantined, isolated. Many didn't survive. It became too much, and he had to isolate himself. He cried as he thought about all the unbearable things the people were going through. The mental anguish racked him with sorrow, but it was his cross to bear. In 1985, a woman was walking home from a dentist appointment in New York City when something horrific happened. A massive crane that had been on top of one of the big skyscrapers broke loose and it fell off of the building, crashing several stories down, landing on poor Bridget Gurney, pinning her to the sidewalk, crushing her legs. Rescue workers flocked to the scene, and they were working feverishly to try to free her. One of them noticed the distress on her face and reached out and held her hand, and he didn't let go. He held her hand for six hours as they worked to free her. They rushed her to the hospital, and she went through surgery after surgery. Now, fortunately, Bridget not only survived, she was even able to walk again after this accident. When she was discharged from the hospital about two months later, they had a big celebration for her. The news crews arrived, and a reporter asked her, Bridget, can you tell us what it was that you think allowed you to survive that accident? And without missing a beat, she turned to the rescue worker who had been there, and she looked him right in the face, and she said, I know that I'm alive today because he held my hand. The simple act of a stranger to hold another stranger's hand in the midst of dire circumstances reminds us of just how powerful it can be to show compassion to someone else. And today we are going to see that our God is a God of compassion. We're going to look at the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ, and as we make much of him, we're going to challenge ourselves to try to be more like him in the way that we show compassion to other people. If you were here with us last December for our Advent series, you might remember that Pastor Rick mentioned that the very first word that God ever used to describe himself was that he is compassionate. This occurred in Exodus 34. Moses, the author of the first five books of our Bible, had a unique encounter with God, and it was in that encounter that God described himself as the Lord who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, I find this so interesting because if I were God and I had an opportunity to describe myself in a way for the first time in words, knowing that this is the, the first recorded time that humans would understand who I am, I would probably choose to say, as God, you should be encouraged to know that I can do absolutely anything. I know all things. I can make everything happen according to my will. And of course, all of those things are true about God, and he could have said that if he wanted to, but he didn't. This is how he chose to identify himself as being compassionate and gracious and slow to anger 
and abounding in love and faithfulness. Are you curious to connect the dots on what made him say this? This happened right after he entrusted Moses with the two stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments etched onto them. Moses had spent this time talking with God, learning from him about what it would look like to be a holy people. And he took these Ten Commandments down the mountain, back to the camp where his people were. I imagine he was probably filled with enthusiasm and optimism after spending this time with God, ready to share this with his people. And when he got back to the camp, he discovers that the people are completely disrespecting God, worshiping an idol instead, the notorious golden calf. Moses was overcome with anger, and he just took those tablets and he smashed them to the ground, destroying them. Biblical scholars admit this was a rather impulsive move on Moses' part, although somewhat in character with other impulsive acts he did in his life. But it wasn't necessarily a wrong act for him to do this by causing kind of like a mega rocket this last week, a rud, the rapid unscheduled disassembly of these tablets. He was symbolically declaring that the people had blown it before God. And as he destroyed these tablets, he was in essence saying that if the people weren't prepared to obey the law, they didn't deserve to have it. Now I'm willing to go out on a limb and say it's probably unlikely that any of you have ever destroyed a precious object given to you by God himself, but we can still identify with Moses in this experience. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience, a time when you feel close to God, a time when you feel enthusiastic about wanting to live for him and you want to bring that to other people but then you get back into real life into reality and it's just like a gut punch of all of the problems in life and all of that optimism comes crashing down well here's what happened god and moses dealt with the immediate crisis at hand consequences were had changes were made but then the issue of the smashed tablets and all that they represented still remained So the Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. (laughs) Don't you love that? Like, just in case you don't think I know how this happened, bucko. (laughs) Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. To me, this reminds me of a time as a kid when I broke something and mom said, go wait in your room and I'll be up to talk to you about this a little bit later. Do you know that feeling? Now Moses wasn't himself really in trouble with God in this moment, but still, try to put yourself here in his sandals. How would you like to be the buck stops here leader over a people who had blown it with God And now God has summoned you for a one-on-one meeting with him to deal with the aspect of this story that you are responsible for. Here's what happened. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God had seen what the people did. He saw what Moses had done. 
He handled everything justly, but in this tender moment, this first documented occurrence of how God ever described himself, he describes himself before anything else as compassionate. He's saying, in essence, Moses, I get it. I saw what the people did. I saw what you did. But I want you to know that no matter what, my love for you, my love for the people is forever. And that's great news for us about who God is. And it gets even better when you fully understand what the Bible means by God being compassionate. And I know compassion is one of those words that we probably all have a general understanding of what it means. We would likely say that it's something like having great empathy for someone, to be able to put yourself in someone else's feelings. And there's a component to compassion that definitely includes empathy, but it's more than that. You might remember when Pastor Rick talked about God being compassionate last December, he pointed out to us that in Hebrew, the word for compassion is actually derived for the word for womb. It's the sense of the kind of care that a mother feels for her child. It's to feel something deeply in your gut. When, when my first baby was a newborn, he spiked a fever and ended up back in the ER. And I'll never forget when the, the nurses went to go take a blood sample and they poked his heel to take this, this blood sample and he let out a wail. I wanted to cry too. And as soon as they were finished, I launched myself over to him and scooped him up and picked him in my arms to comfort him. This is the kind of depth of feeling that Moses understood God to mean when he said he feels compassionately about his people. It's that ache we mothers feel when we see our kiddos cry out in pain. Or it's the same kind of drive that we have as good parents when we see our children struggling and they're just ready to melt down, but instead we just know they need grace in this moment, and so we hold them close as they fall apart. This is the compassion of God. He gets us. Even when we're at our worst, he holds us close as our compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. But for every one of us who might say, well, that sounds great, but it feels kind of theoretical because I can't actually see God doing this, we can look to Jesus the one who is both fully God and fully man, to see God's compassion modeled for us in human form. You see, the Son of God became our Emmanuel, which means our God with us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, as God, retained the perfection of God's attributes, such as his compassion, but he was also fully human. So he understood what it was to be hungry, to be lonely, to be tired, to be in pain to feel betrayed. And yet he also understood things like what it was like to laugh and to love and to feel empathy for someone else. He gets us because he was one of us, and that's a huge reason why we can confidently trust him. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about this being why Jesus is the ultimate mediator between us and God. He is our great high priest. I love the way the message translation puts it, referring to the beauty of Jesus as our representative. It says, when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. And then a couple of chapters later, it encourages us to, to lean into his compassionate goodness 
saying, now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. I want to take you next to a passage in the Gospel of Matthew so that we can see more of how Jesus displayed compassion and then we can learn from him. And we're just going to consider this passage first and then we're going to come back to it later because like a great movie or a great book if we take a little time to enjoy some backstory and some character development we'll skip so much more out of it when we put it all together this is Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 and 36 Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness when he saw the crowds He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. With our our first reading, we can already see some great things about Jesus here. We see that he was all about teaching and proclaiming the good news of salvation and healing the sick. And when he saw the crowds of people, he had compassion on them, recognizing the needs that they were bringing to him. But if we're going to be people who are fully devoted followers of Jesus, if we're going to let him be our guiding authority, if we're going to base our identity in who he is and what he did for us rather than what we do, if more importantly for this message, if we're going to let what he did be what drives our activity so that we can love others in the way that he loved, we need to know what it was that he did so that we can become more like him. And so what I'm about to do is walk you through a great tool for accomplishing this goal. It's a great tool for growing in your discipleship. Whenever you want to have a better idea of what Jesus would have done in a certain situation, go to the scriptures and look up all of the verses that depict him doing that and see what you can learn from them. An easy way to do that is to use a tool called a concordance in the back of most paper Bibles. It's kind of like an index for verses. Or if you're more of a digital person, a great site like BibleGateway.com can accomplish the same thing. Just type in compassion and look up the verses that pertain to Jesus relating to that. I did all of that prep work for us, and besides the verses that we just saw, there are five additional stories in the Gospels that speak about the compassion of Jesus. And rather than me just telling you what I've gotten to learn about this, I'd like to walk you through them with me so that you too can have the joy of seeing this in real time. And as we quickly glance through these five verses, put on your detective cap and see what you notice about the compassion of Jesus. The reference for these five verses are on your handout sheet, so don't feel like you need to scramble to write them down. So after the verse that we already saw, the second occurrence of Jesus' compassion is in Matthew 14, 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. The next one happens right before the miracle of the feeding of the thousands with the loaves of bread and the five small fish. And Jesus said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. The next occurrence happens when there were two blind men who happened to hear that Jesus was coming down the road, and they called out to him, asking him for mercy, asking him to restore their sight. You might remember this story from when Pastor Otis mentioned this in his sermon on Palm Sunday. 
Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. Fifth, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And then the last one is my personal favorite because it demonstrates the depth of Jesus' heart for hurting people. You see, Jesus was walking into a town and he encountered a funeral procession. A boy had died, leaving behind not just a grieving mother, but we find out that this mother was also a widow. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Another translation says his heart went out to her. And he said to her, do not weep. And he said that because in the very next verse, he brings this boy back to life and he gives him back to her. Our Jesus is amazing. Well, now that we've quickly seen each case of where the Bible mentions for us that Jesus felt compassion, a next step in this kind of a study is to consider two things. What were the circumstances that caused Jesus' heartbreak? What compelled his compassion? And then what did he do about it? So first, the circumstances. In both Matthew 9 and then later in Mark 6, Jesus had compassion on the crowd because he says they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I'll say more about that later. But in essence, what this means is that they were vulnerable. They were in, at risk of being spiritually led astray. So we see that Jesus has compassion for people who are spiritually vulnerable. In Matthew 14, his compassion was for the sick. In the miracle story of feeding the thousands, his compassion is for the hungry, for those who are lacking their physical needs. In Matthew 20, in the story of the blind man, Jesus had compassion on those who are living with disabilities, and as a result, in that culture, were social outcasts. And then finally, for the poor widow, we see that Jesus has compassion on those who are emotionally distraught. If you want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus... If you want your heart to break for the same things that break his heart, this is what scripture tells us those things were. These are the kind of things that when Jesus encountered them, like a mother seeing her suffering child made Jesus ache in the pit of his stomach. If you, like many of us, have ever felt uncomfortably vulnerable, be comforted knowing that Jesus cares. If you've ever been among those of us who have been ill to the point of wishing it would just end, know that Jesus aches with you. If you've ever lacked what you need in life, Jesus provides. If you've ever felt unwanted or unseen, Jesus sees you. If you've ever felt so sad that you can't breathe, his heart breaks for you. He's been there. He gets us. But better even than knowing that Jesus gets us, that he knows how we feel, is seeing his compassion. Because compassion is so much more than just a feeling. It is a feeling, but so much more. If empathy is feeling another person's pain, true compassion goes beyond empathy and takes action to relieve someone's need or pain. Let's look at these verses again, and we'll answer our second study question. What did Jesus do when he felt compassion? And now I want you to notice that in every verse, Jesus doesn't just feel compassion for someone. He does something about it. So let's see this. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. 
and healed their sick. I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And so he fed them with the bread and fish until they had so much they couldn't eat another bite. For the blind men on the road, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And for the poor grieving mother, the widowed mother, when Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. And he did that because he gave her back her son. Friends, Jesus never saw someone and just ached for them for a little bit and then went on about his day. He never encountered someone and said, oh, that's just awful. I am so sorry you're going through that and then looked at his watch and got off to his next appointment. And I find this both deeply beautiful and also deeply convicting because it is so easy to hear something sad or tragic and to let that break your heart and maybe be filled with all kinds of good intentions. You know, I should send that person a card or bring them a meal or or go do something that would really help and then get busy or distracted And by the time you finally get around to doing something about it, it feels awkwardly too late. Do you know what that is like? I mean, I sure do. I often feel inadequate in the way that I express compassion for other people. And my point isn't to lay a guilt trip on any of you or even on myself. But before I let any of us off the hook, can I turn the heat up on this just a little bit? Because to the hurting person, does unexpressed compassion feel compassionate? This was the point of one of the most famous teaching stories that Jesus ever told. In the parable of the Good Samaritan recorded in Luke chapter 10, the powerful lesson of the three people who encountered a severely injured man lying in the street was to not be like the first two religious people who saw him lying there, who noticed him, but then kept going on about their day but to be like the third man, the Samaritan, the one who stopped, who it says had compassion on him and used his resources to address that man's immediate needs and then get him to a place where he could be cared for and back on his feet. This is the kind of action that Jesus points us towards. This story shows us what it would look like for us to show compassion to others in a way that pleases God Now, I could easily spend another half hour talking about compassion in the Good Samaritan story alone, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, this is a really good spiritual formation opportunity for you. Sometime this week, read Luke 10 and pull out all you can about what you see about compassion in this story. But for us now, I want to take us back to that verse in Matthew that launched this discussion about what Jesus' compassion looks like. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Do you remember the observations we made the first time that we saw this verse? We had noticed that Jesus was all about teaching and proclaiming the good news and healing the sick. But now that we've discovered this list, 
of the specific kinds of things that broke Jesus' heart? Does it make more sense now why the core strategy of Jesus' ministry was all about teaching people the truth and pointing them to the way of salvation and healing every malady? Everything Jesus did came back to the core of who he is as our compassionate God, that God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. The God who sees us, who sees our pain and our vulnerability, but doesn't just ache for us, he does something about it. So in the next verse where it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, we should be a little bit more primed now to not just notice that Jesus had compassion, but to wonder what was it that made him feel that way and what's he going to do about it? So the why first. In a few recent sermons, it's come up that the Bible frequently likens us to sheep and Jesus as our good shepherd. And for the original audience of these scriptures, that would have made a lot of sense to them. They would understand that was sheep ever present in their community. But I can count on one hand the number of times I've been within 50 feet of a sheep. Now, one of those times actually had me dressing a full-grown sheep in human clothing while my husband held it for me, but that's a story for another time. My point is, though, that we might not appreciate the significance of what Jesus is saying here because we don't relate to what it's like to be a sheep without a shepherd. Now, those of you who have been in church a long time probably have heard several sermons explaining that sheep are rather dumb and defenseless creatures and depend on their shepherd to provide for their needs and to keep them safe. But what you might not have heard as frequently is that there's another dimension to Jesus's compassion on someone described as a sheep without a shepherd. And for that, we need to go back to the Old Testament. You see, leaders all the way back to the early history of God's people were likened to shepherds. In fact, shepherding is the most frequent analogy in the Bible for what it looks like to be a good leader. We began this message looking at Moses, who became one of the great leaders in all of biblical history. And when Moses died, they appointed for him a successor, a man named Joshua. And they did that specifically so that the Lord's people will not like sheep without a shepherd. Sound familiar? From the beginning, God wanted his people to be both the recipients of compassionate care and also the givers of it. He wanted his people to be led by wise and compassionate people, and he put people like Abraham and Moses and Joseph and David in positions of leadership to watch out for and to care for the people. But there was no such leader in the days of Jesus. The Jewish leaders hadn't fulfilled their responsibility to guide people in the way of the Lord, and so the crowds were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, implying here that they were vulnerable to distress and to being spiritually led astray, not unlike many people in our world today. Jesus, the good shepherd, out of his heartbreak, oriented his ministry towards caring and providing for people as God wanted for them. Most importantly, in proclaiming the good news of the hope of the kingdom, the way of salvation. But what Jesus is about to do next in this passage is what I think plays out like the scene of a great movie. It's even more incredible to me than if he just picked a few people out of the crowd and did a specific miracle for them. And so let's As we 
Get ready to see this scene. Imagine it with me. Imagine you're standing there with Jesus on the edge of this field. You see this great crowd of people who are all clamoring to try to get to Jesus, to to get their needs met by him. You see him standing there with his disciples. You've watched him now go from town to town to town, teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing all of the sick. And you see that now familiar expression coming on Jesus' face. You see the compassion in his eyes, and you wonder, what's he going to do this time? But this time he does something a little bit different. This time it becomes clear that he wants others to join him in his acts of compassion. He turns to the disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And you realize that what he's doing out of his compassion this time is reaching beyond the scene and directly addressing you. You are the answer to Jesus' prayer requests when you react with compassion when you see the needs of other people. You are the answer to Jesus' prayer requests when you see the world through eyes of compassion and you point them to him. When you let God use you to be a laborer in his harvest, you might get to bring someone to salvation. Praise God for that. You might also have the chance just to show someone the hope that they need that will get them through the next week. Jesus reminds us that the world is ripe with people who need him. They ache for you to care about their physical, emotional, and most importantly, their spiritual needs so that they can be saved. Are you praying for anyone's salvation these days? Are you praying that God would use you to be like Jesus to someone else? Or if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're here today either because someone invited you or maybe you're watching this message online because someone shared this link with you, has it occurred to you that maybe they want this for you because out of their care for you, they want you to have what they have? As we seek to be more like Jesus, practicing compassion is a key component to our discipleship. The way that we respond to the physical and the emotional and the spiritual needs of others is a measure of our maturity. But what does this look like practically? Ask God to show you. The next time your heart breaks for someone, let that feeling prompt you to ask God, how could you be more like Jesus to that person? Maybe they need you to share with them the hope that you have in Christ. Or maybe like the Good Samaritan, are there resources that you have that you could use to do something about their need? Or maybe like that rescue worker in the beginning story who just simply held the hand of a woman in distress. Is there someone who just needs your reassuring presence? Maybe God has someone on your heart even now, or maybe you're thinking more broadly about needs that you see in our community. If you'd like to explore more of what it looks like to have a biblical approach to caring for the needs of the vulnerable and the marginalized, we're going to be holding a seminar here on Sunday evening, May 7th, led by the Reverend Steve Eng. Steve is part of our congregation and now works as an advocacy director for the National Association of Evangelicals, and he'll be giving us a further understanding of what the Bible has to say about caring for the marginalized and the vulnerable, as well as some practical ways for us engaging in doing that. I commend this opportunity, and I'd love to have you join me there.
but I trust that God will give you many opportunities in the coming days and weeks to practice compassion in your context. And so before we get ready to leave this place this morning, I'd like to honor Jesus' call to pray that God would move us to be laborers in his harvest.